together for our production team. Come on, real quick. Yeah. We want to take a moment every Sunday for the next couple of weeks and just focus on some of these areas of Dream Team because as you're coming to church here every Sunday, as you're sending your kids to V-Kids, grabbing coffee out in the lobby, watching uh, an, an experience like a service, there's so many things that are happening throughout the day from volunteers, from what we call our Dream Team. And we really want to encourage you to be able to jump and be a part of that. We're, we're coming into the what they call return to church season. We've come out of the summer, got past Labor Day, and people start kind of settling into their routines and getting back into the routine. And it's a great time to be able to present something great for people as they're coming in to experience Jesus. And so there's four main ways you can do that here. And the one we want to talk about just for a quick moment is our production team. And so everybody embarrass them real quick and look back for a second. And there's the team that's serving today. There we go. Uh, in case you guys just thought all this stuff ran itself, it doesn't. There are people that show up and put on and practice, and it's just an amazing, amazing experience. And so I want to encourage you, if this is something that interests you, maybe you're into tech, Maybe you're into sound and lighting and visual. You can today, right after service, attend our growth track, learn more about the church, learn more about how you fit in, how you're a part of it, what's special about you, what the, the, the DNA of the church, and then jump on board with it. So if that's you, if you say, man, that interests me, uh, or maybe as the video said, you say, well, I, that interests me, but I don't really know how to do it. I would encourage you to go check it out because the team is very uh, well educated in that area so they could help train you a little bit and, and help you be a part of the team. So do that for me. Uh, when you came in today, you were given something that looks like this. It's just kind of a handout card. And we'll be giving this out all throughout this series. And there's two focuses for this card. One is going to be kind of a next steps direction. And we really want to encourage everybody here at Victory to move to the next step. So everybody right now, no matter who you are, you are on one of these levels. So you've either just visited for the first time or you've been coming for a little bit, or maybe you've been here since we launched the church or whatever it be. So you'll see kind of the first one is to attend church, to give your heart to Jesus, to be baptized in water. If you haven't done those things, we want to encourage you to do that. You'll have an opportunity to do that today. After that, you can complete Growth Track, which I just talked about. It's after church this Sunday. Then you move into trusting God with your finances, which we'll talk more about in November. Then you join a dream team, join a small group, start getting involved in some of our outreach and our events, and then move into a realm of discipling other people and discipling yourself. And so I just want to encourage you as you're looking at that, kind of, kind of look at it and say, all right, where am I? And then what do I need to do to move to the next step? Where am I on here? If I'm on one, two, three, four, five, how do I get to the next step? On the other side is just kind of an update of what God's been doing through Victory since we opened this building. So we launched the church at Rock Springs Middle School in Smyrna. We opened up the building in April. And we just like to kind of give you an annual report on what God's doing. Our mission statement is grow God, give and go. It's kind of laid out here that we want to see people grow in, grow in God, guide in their discipleship, give out of their gifts, and then go and make a difference. And so you just kind of, I'll, I won't go through it all because you can read, but I'll just kind of give you some examples of what you see. You see average attendance, you see water baptisms, you see streaming views, how many joined a dream team, how many were here on Easter. You see how many small groups we started, how many teachers we trained. You see how many completed, completed the rooted curriculum, uh, attended the emotional healthy spirituality class, how many outreach events we have. You see where some of the uh, impact we've had financially, how much we've put into ministry, how much we've put into operating. I love this. As of right now, outside service, outreach, ministry, outside of our doors, we've given $22,000. Come on. That's incredible. 
That's incredible that we've been able to do that. Uh, and then you kind of see some of the events that we've been involved with in outreach. Again, just since we've been in the building. This does not include the beginning of the year, and it also doesn't include some of the stuff that we have planned for the rest of the year. So take that home with you. Pray over the church. Be excited about it. Ask yourself and challenge yourself, where can I move to the next step to help victory move forward? I'm going to tell you one thing you can do for us real quick. I want to encourage you in this season to start inviting people to church. Uh, I know that 2020 kind of got everybody off their routine, and 2021 was kind of getting back to normal. Where 2022, we should be back to normal by now in the aspect especially of inviting our friends to come and experience Jesus, to come and have an opportunity to be saved, have an opportunity to find a church home. So I want to challenge you this week to invite one person to church next week, all right? That's your challenge for you, is to think about one person, a coworker, a friend that you can invite and say, hey, come check out Victory Church and just kind of share what God's doing. It's going to be awesome. Amen? Amen. Can you take that challenge for me? Yeah? Um, I did mention that, and I always like to share a little bit about what we're doing financially outside the church, and I shared that this month we were going to focus on our missionaries, and we talked about the Bartholos last Sunday, and we were going to talk about Katie Carter in Costa Rica. I actually want to pause that, and I want to talk about her in October, and here's why. As Noah was talking about the 5K race, I started thinking, you know what? A lot of you are not going to know the mission behind the 5K race. You're going to hear it and go, I don't want to run, and so I don't need to be involved. But when you understand the vision behind it, I think it'll be a little bit more important. So I'm going to share a little bit today, and then I'm going to put some stuff in place for next Sunday and the Sunday after that to really show you what it's about. It's not just the 5K race. Uh, the 5K race is to bring awareness to, to domestic abuse. And so there's a lot of history behind that. There is a couple of ladies that have just an incredible story of... Um, of how domestic abuse impacted their life. And it's really been a great ministry to ladies, especially ladies, but obviously anybody who's been in that kind of history. And so that's what it does. The point of the 5K race is not just for you to get together and run and exercise, although we all could use that. It's to bring awareness. And so that's all I really have for you today on that aspect. I do want to kind of open your eyes to it. But starting next week, we're going to bring a little bit more to it so that you guys can really get behind it, so that you understand that we're not coming together just to run. We're coming together to run and bring awareness. I'll be there. We'll be there. A lot of our team will be there on that Saturday, just being a part of it, and it's going to be exciting. Amen? Amen. All right. Y'all ready for the word? All right. Do me a favor. Grab your Bibles. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. You can put it on your phone, however you want to get there. John chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 1. But let me give a little bit of context. We are in a series called Living Room Leaders. And I spent last Sunday just kind of introducing this concept that you and I are leaders, especially as believers. We're leaders in our home. We're leaders at our job. We're leaders at our school. And we kind of got to need to define what that means to be a leader. And we need to start learning how to walk in that leadership. And so I kind of used last Sunday as an introduction and I believe this Sunday is one of those messages that really has to become the foundation of this idea. You can't walk out of here wanting to be a leader in Christ without talking about what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm going to read a few verses to you, and then we will get into it. So John chapter 4, verse 1, 
says that now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. John the Baptist had come pre-Christ, announcing that the Savior, the Messiah, was coming, and he started baptizing people who wanted to believe in the Messiah, and he gained this fame. And now Jesus shows up on the scene, and all of a sudden the attention is going to Jesus, and people, the Pharisees, the religious people, are saying, hey, do you see this? Like, who does this guy think he is? He's dragging people away from John the Baptist, and they totally had it backwards. It goes on to say, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was doing the baptizing, but his disciples. So Jesus decides that he's going to leave Judea, and he goes back once more to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria. So theologians say that he didn't actually geographically have to go through Samaria, but when it says he had to, it's because there was a relationship, there was an individual that he was going there to meet with. That's what it means by he had to go. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, a well where people would go and draw water for their, they couldn't go to Kroger and buy water bottles, they had to go and draw water out of a well. And it said, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, this is important. The time is important because women would have come to the well to draw water in the early morning because it would have been cooler in that day. No one would have showed up to the well at noon because it would have been hot and that wouldn't have made sense. So it's already letting you know, it's a teaser, letting you know that this woman has a secret that she's hiding. She would not be coming to that well at noon if she wasn't trying to get away from something. It says, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus then said to her, ma'am, will, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman then said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Jews didn't interact with Samaritan and especially didn't interact with Samaritan Women, you've heard me talk before about there wasn't a lot of value in women in that day. And so even the idea that a man would even speak to her without permission was odd. She says, how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her. I love his response. If you knew the gift of God, watch this. If you knew who was asking you for a drink, then not only would you be excited that, that I asked you, but I would have given you living water. I would have given you living water. I want to talk to you for a moment when it comes to leadership from this idea, your greatest leadership challenge. As you're trying to be a leader and you're trying to be a leader in Christ, I think it's important to talk to you about your greatest leadership challenge. Now, don't say this out loud because we don't, we don't need this kind of hostility, but, but what do you think is your greatest leadership challenge? Now, I understand that to answer that question, you kind of got to have context. What are we talking about? Are we talking about leading our finances? Are we talking about leading our home? Are we talking about leading in our job? Because we could argue that there's a different challenge in everyone, right? My, my greatest leadership challenge in my finances is I don't have enough finances, right? <laughs> or, or my greatest leadership as a parent is I, I don't know how to make sense of my children. Or my greatest leadership at my job is things aren't fair. You know, I mean, there's, there's not enough resource. There's, there's always kind of different leadership challenges. But I was listening to a, a leadership lesson from a guy that, by the name of Andy Stanley, and he made this statement that I'll never forget. Watch this. He said, I realized that I was present for every bad decision that I ever made. <laughs> Think about that. I was present for every bad decision that I ever made. In other words, 
every uh, health decision that I ever made that was bad, I was present for it, right? I was the one that asked the fries to be large-sized and to have the double cheeseburger and said, like, I was present for that. Every bad financial decision that I've ever made, I was present for it, right? I'm the one that said, I'll just put it on the credit card. Like every bad decision I've made parenting, every bad decision I've made in my marriage, every dumb thing that I've ever said to Darla that got me the look. You know what I mean? Y'all are familiar men with the look. Every time I I was present for that, I, I, I thought that in my head and went, this is a good idea. Still said it, regretted it afterwards, I was there for the whole thing. So this got me thinking this. My greatest leadership challenge is me. Right? Your greatest leadership challenge is you. The the greatest hurdle that you have to get over as a leader is not the person that works with you that you can't stand. It's not your difficult children. It's not your lack of finances. The greatest hurdle you will ever get over as a leader is you. Great leadership begins with self-leadership. And your potential to lead others is a direct result on how you lead yourself. Your greatest potential in being able to lead other people is how you lead yourself. Jesus was a master at this. When you study the life of Jesus, he did such a great example of this. And here's here's what I mean specifically. Jesus always made it a point to have time to get away with the Father. He's the Son of God. The Bible says he's 100% man and 100% God. He is a miracle worker. He's walking on water. He's healing the blind. He's feeding thousands with a small meal. He's doing all of these great, godly, miraculous things. And yet Jesus thought it was important that every day he would start his day in the presence of his heavenly Father. He thought it was important for him to get away in a quiet place and be in the presence of God. And I've always been amazed by this, and it's always made me ask this question, not in a condemning way, but in an encouraging way. Listen, if Jesus needed to do it, don't you think we need to? Right? Like, if Jesus felt like it was necessary for him every morning to get away with the Father, then it must be necessary for us as well. And I think it's important because it's an opportunity for self-leadership. It's an opportunity to be able to look within. It's an opportunity to be able to assess and process. It's an opportunity for you to become, come before God and say, what needs to be worked on in me? Before I go out and lead other people, before I go and try to parent these children, before I try to learn how to do marriage correctly, before I learn how to process all of my past issues and all of my soon-to-come issues, I first need to know, God, who am I? And what do you want to work on in me? Make sense? Great leaders last because they choose to lead themselves first. I think any time we've seen a great leader fall, it's been because at some point they quit leading themselves. At some point they got so obsessed with leading other people that they forgot about self-leadership. So here's a question. Again, just a question for you. Don't say it out loud. Don't don't, don't raise your hand. Don't don't give... just, Just... Process this internally. What are you currently doing to lead yourself? What are you currently doing? What is your routine? What does your normal day look like? What are you doing to lead 
Self. Now, I'm going to give you some examples of this, and, and not so much spiritually, but I'm going to give you some impractically. Some people might say, well, I, I exercise, and so I'm leading my health, right? I've always heard this said, leaders are readers. And so some people read books, and that's how you lead yourself. Some people have a quiet time with the Lord. Some people, you know, do all, they have yoga or, or whatever that, meditation, you know, all these different things that people do that they are leading themselves with. And so that's my question for you, just to kind of, for a second, Soak in that. What are you doing to lead yourself? Now, understand this. Leading yourself doesn't happen overnight. Leading yourself is a process. However, everyone, everyone wins when the leader gets better. Your family wins when you get better. Your, your workplace wins when you get better. This, this church wins when you get better. Everybody wins when the leader gets better. Now listen, you could go right now and Google the top 10, top 100 ways to lead yourself. There are so many things out there, and I would encourage you that if that's what you want to do, go do it. Like learn other ways to lead yourself. There are so many different ways. Read this, listen to that, listen to a podcast. Like there's so many ways. And I don't have time to preach all of those. But what I thought would be important is to kind of point out to you what I think are the three most important. That all the things that you could go and learn, that you would build on top of it, I wanted to give you the three things that I think are the foundation of your ability to lead yourself. All right? So here we go. Number one, you need to determine your direction. This is the time, if you're a note taker, this is the time to take notes. Number one, you need to determine your direction. Some people might call this define your goals. Right? You've heard this in a lot of leadership concepts. You need to define where you need to set a target so that you can hit it because if you don't aim at anything, you'll hit nothing, right? So we need to determine our direction. Let's go back to John chapter 4. I want to show you something. This woman thinks she's just coming to a well on a normal day to get water, but Jesus starts introducing a concept where what I see him doing is trying to uh, bring in her direction. He's trying to say, hey, are you aware of why you're here? Do you know what you're focusing on? Watch this. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. The water you're trying to get, everyone who drinks is going to be thirsty again. Watch this. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Jesus is taking this opportunity to focus in. Here's what Jesus is saying. What do you want? What do you want, right? It's Noah from the notebook. What do you want? Like, like, what direction are you going? Do you just want to get some water so you can go back and have breakfast and have some liquid? Or are you trying to find eternal satisfaction? Determine your direction. Listen to me. Are we coming to church? Are we reading our Bibles? Are we praying just because it's legalistic and we should? Or are we coming because we want to be fulfilled? What, what is the direction that we're going? Why are we doing this? And the woman goes on to say, sir, give me that water. <laughs> I, I love her response. She doesn't sugarcoat it. She's like, here's what I'm for. I want the water that's going to cause me to never have to come to this well again. She has direction. This is what Jesus is doing with this lady. He's drawing her in by saying, hey, right off the bat, we need to determine your direction. And when it comes to you and I leading ourselves, the first thing that we have to do is we have to determine where are we going? Where do we want to go? Listen, direction, not intention, determines destination. 
direction, not intention, determines destination. Here's what I mean. You can have good intentions and never get there, right? You can intend to have a great marriage, but never get there. You can have intentions to be a good parent, but never get there. You can have intentions to be stable financially, but never get there because intention does not determine destination. Direction does. We have to be able to say up front, this is where I'm trying to get. And here's the truth. Are you ready? If we don't determine our direction, someone else will. If we don't decide right now where we want to be in life, what we want to see in our family, what we want to see in our finances, what we want to see in our relationship with God, if we don't decide it, somebody else will. There are plenty of people who are ready to spend your money right? There are plenty of people ready to raise your kids. If we don't decide to disciple them, culture will disciple them, right? If we don't step up with direction for our marriage, then media will tell us the direction of our marriage. What I'm trying to say is this. We are all being discipled. Every one of us. Well, I never signed up for discipleship. You are being discipled but we get to decide whether it's by design or by default. It's our choice whether we are discipled by something specific that we designed so we would go in this direction or we just kind of let things go. And so we were discipled by default. Darla and I had a conversation recently about our kids and we were, we were going through, she's so good at this as a mom, she'll, she'll periodically check into like what they're watching on TV, what they're listening to, who they're talking to, because she's wanting to disciple them by design. We, we, will, we, we, will, we will hear things and we'll delete that app. We'll hear things and we'll take away that streaming device. Because what we don't want is for our kids to be discipled by default. We don't want them to wake up and all of a sudden do things and say things that are not our culture, but because we weren't paying attention right? They were watching something that, can I tell you, every TV show and movie that's made is made with how to disciple you in mind. How do we move you to want this? How do we move you to like this? It's all about how to get your attention. Everybody wants to disciple you, and you have to determine the direction you want to go. I was listening to a message from Dr. Ben Carson, and he was speaking about his childhood and how he was raised, and he was raised in extreme poverty, and so he had a house. You know, with, he li- him and his brother lived with their mom. Uh, they, he would say they were incredibly poor is how he would put it. And his mom worked at cleaning houses kind of in that maid system for wealthier families. And he's telling the story, and here's what he said. He said, I asked my mom later why she took that job. And she said she took that job because she wanted to learn what they did, the people who had the big houses and all the money, what they did differently than what she did to be able to get them that kind of lifestyle while she had this kind of lifestyle. I thought that was very, she was like a, like a secret ninja going in to kind of learn what are they doing, right? So after a few months, she comes to her kids, and here's what she says she learned. She learned that people who live like that read more than they watch TV. And people who lived where they lived watch TV more than they read. Now, we all understand that that's not the only reason people are in different places, but that was what she was able to pick up. So here's what she told her two boys. She said, we're getting rid of the television. You're not going to watch TV anymore. You're going to read. And so she would take them to the library, and they would rent out books. And during the day, they were reading books. And Dr. Ben Carson said this. He said, as we grew up, he said, I was watching cousin after cousin die. 
He said they got in gangs and they were getting killed. And he said, me and my brother were in our rooms reading books. And he said, today, my mom has two sons. One is a brain surgeon and one is a rocket scientist. Think about that. He said, all my cousins are either dead or in gangs or in jail. And he said, me and my brother, brain surgeon, rocket scientist, right? That's incredible because a mom said, I'm not going to let my family be discipled by default. I'm going to design how my kids shape their life. She was purposeful. We have to not only, and, and I know every parent amends me on this. Every parent, I get it. I'm the same way. It's like, yes, but it's the same with ourselves. We will disciple our children and let ourselves be discipled to default. We have to determine our direction. But listen to me. Leadership is not developed daily. I'm sorry. Leadership is developed daily. It's not developed in a day. So this isn't an opportunity to like freak out. I've done it all wrong. It's an opportunity to reassess and start putting things into motion. The secret of our success is found in our daily agenda. Darla and I were traveling this week and we got to talking in the car and I told her I was, I was listening to different, reading different things on famous people's morning routines. It, that kind of stuff intrigues me. I just love to hear. It was Mark Wahlberg. It was Oprah Winfrey. It was a few of the past presidents, uh, some presidents that are no longer alive. It was just all this different history that I was reading of people and their morning routines. They would get up at, you know, some people were crazy. They were getting up at 2 in the morning. Mark Wahlberg got up at 2.30 in the morning. That's ungodly. Y'all realize that, right? <laughs> And all my night workers said, get off the stage. And so, you know, it, it, is, it is what it is. And, and, and so they had these different schedules. But here's what I noticed that was unique about every one of them. Every one of them had a section that was a spiritual time. It wasn't all Jesus. Most of them weren't even believers necessarily in Christ. But they all had this spiritual moment. And it was normally early in their routine. And here's what I picked up from it. They were all looking to something else, right? Some other kind of being to help guide them. And it's important for us when we get ready to determine our direction. This is what Jesus was modeling for us. Listen, you can have all this vision. You can have all these great intentions. But what are you doing daily to determine your direction. Can I take some of, the, some of the worry and some of the stress off you for a second? If you'll put God first in your day, he will determine your direction. Some of the biggest stress on me is what I should do because I have so many options, right? We could spend our entire day with just our kids, our entire day with just our spouse, our entire day at just our job, entire day on trying to just educate ourselves, an entire day just sleeping. <laughs> Amen. Like, we, we have all these things we could do. What do we do? And we're dealing with stress like crazy because we don't even know how to determine our direction. So watch this. We just let society determine it. Well, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to work. I'll go to work. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to eat dinner. I'll eat dinner. And that direction is determined by default instead of going before Jesus and saying, can you help me? Can you determine my direction? Can I come set in the presence of God? and learn where I'm supposed to be doing and what I'm supposed to be? Can I read the words of God and understand his plan for me and his purpose for me and how he views me? 
What you want to accomplish, listen to me, church, starts with how you direct your day. But I'll give you something even better. I didn't write this down because I didn't get it to this morning. What you want to accomplish starts with who you allow to direct your day. Not just how, but who. So going back to the beginning, what do you do to lead yourself? I would challenge you, is there time every day for you to be with God? Is there time every day for you to cuddle up with Jesus? And I understand schedules are different. Some people can't do it in the morning. Some people has to be at night. I understand. You have to be able to make it work at work. You have young kids. You have older kids. You have a late job. I understand all those things. I'm not trying to give you a cookie cutter way to do it. I'm just challenging you that if you're going to start determining your direction instead of just being discipled by default, just get in the presence of Jesus. Just pull your Bible close and start reading. And when you start to see the character of God through the words of Jesus, you'll start to learn how God sees you and how God wants you to go. And all of that direction will start to clear up and you'll feel confident in the way that you're going. Amen? The rest gets a little bit deeper. It's a little bit harder to chew. Point two. Point one is like, yeah, we're going to read our Bible. Point two is a little bit harder. You ready? Point two, stop lying to ourselves. Number one, we need to determine our direction. Which way are we going? Number two, we got to stop lying to ourselves. Watch this in John chapter 4, y'all. This is so powerful. Jesus is in the conversation with this lady, and he says, I want that living water. Remember, that's where we left off. I want that water. Can I have that water? Watch this. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give it to you. Go get your husband first, and then come back. Watch her response. I don't have a husband. I'm single, right? I'm a single lady. I'm a single lady. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a husband. I don't like dudes. I, I, I'm cool by myself. Jesus says, now wait a minute. Watch how he says this. You are right when you say you have no husband. Like you're right about what you said, but you're not right about how you said it. You are correct in what you said, but you didn't give the entire truth. So he says, here's the truth. The truth is you've had five husbands And the man that you are with right now is not your husband. Now, this is so profound, y'all, because this woman in this story is so overwhelmed with the shame of what she's doing that when she gets in the presence of Jesus, she would rather lie about what she's struggling with than to face it, to admit it and face it. Do you see what I'm saying? That when it comes to leading ourselves, There's opportunity that if we're not careful, we'll start lying to ourselves. We'll start telling the truth, but not the entire truth. And so there's a point where Jesus says, the fact is you have five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. Watch this. What you have said is quite true. What you have said, this whole concept is the truth. I love that Jesus didn't I was going to say he didn't hold punches, but I don't think that was the context of the character of Christ in this moment. I think Jesus was just stating facts. Jesus is saying, hey, if we're going to really do something here, if you're going to really experience living water, then we're going to have to quit lying to ourselves. Watch this. Exceptional self-leadership begins with brutal honesty. Exceptional self-leadership begins with brutal honesty. We cannot lead ourselves as long as we are lying to ourselves. Now, I'll be honest with you. There is nobody 
that can talk Troy Powell into doing more stupid things than Troy Powell. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I, look, I can sell me on some stuff. You know, I'll be like, man, you only had a shake for lunch. You should have six cheeseburgers for dinner. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I can, I can look, you, you should just go ahead and have the brownie and the cookie. Like, just put them on top of each other and eat them both because the calories won't know how to split up when you swallow them that way. I, I, I can sell myself on some crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's go ahead and buy that. Put it on the credit card. Like, I can sell. I have been in places where Darla and I just had conversations that we need to hold off on spending. And then I go, I'm hungry. You want to just go to a restaurant? You know, I can sell myself on some stuff. But not only can I sell myself on doing stupid things, watch this, I can sell myself on believing that it's something's wrong with other people and nothing's wrong with me. Right? I can sell myself on the fact that it must be your fault. It can't be my fault. I can sell myself on the fact that it isn't that bad, that I've done worse. Like, I, it just depends on what I want me to do because I can lie to myself. I, I, I can sugarcoat it. There's so many things I can do to move me in the direction that I want to go because watch. If I haven't determined the direction, then I will lead myself where at the time my flesh wants to go. And if my, even though my flesh knows I shouldn't go there, I can sell myself on it. You know what I mean? Just me? Y'all never sold yourself on anything that's not good for you? Okay, just letting you know. Just trying to clear it up. Listen, no one likes being confronted on their bad behavior. No one. Especially not in public. Nobody likes it to be pointed out of their shortcomings. Nobody likes it to be pointed out that we missed the mark. And naturally, our first response when somebody points something out that we're not doing well or we're not hitting the tar target or the mark, the first thing that we want to do is we want self-defense or justification. Leave that up there for a second because I want that last part. I'm going to come back to it. But i got to tell you all this illustration. If you have kids, you've experienced this. But literally, I wrote it in my notes midweek. It happened yesterday, like 10 times, okay, where your kids do something. And for the sake of this illustration, I'm going to use make a mess eating. And you know they made a mess eating, all right? So you go and get them, and here's what you're doing. Can you come down and clean up your mess? That's all I'm asking, right? I don't need you to refinance my house. I just need you to clean up the, the bag of veggie straws, right? So you go get them, and they come down the stairs, bow-legged, right? They come, and you go, hey, is this your mess? And here's what they say. I didn't do that, right? And you're like, okay, let's talk through this. There are two people in this house right now, you and me. I didn't do it, and I saw you sitting on the couch eating veggie straws, Five minutes ago, it's clearly your mess. I don't think I did it. Listen, I, I'm not here to judge you uh, on what you did. I just want you to clean it up, right? But it's something in us from when we were very young that we want to go into self-defense. That's not me. <laughs> I didn't do that. And then we move into justification. Well, you know, your sister did it too. That, that's Veda's mess. I shouldn't clean up my mess. You know what I mean? It's like it's naturally in us. Watch this. It's the same way when the Spirit of God starts moving into our life and it's trying to reveal things that he wants to work on. We start to move into self-defense, into justification. 
And I think that God would say the same thing we often say to our kids, which is this. Listen, I'm not here to have a debate on whether or not you did it. I'm God. I know you did it. I want to move past it. I want to be able to fix it and move forward. And that's when this comes in. A heart posture that recognizes our shortcomings positions us to recognize grace. Did you catch that? A heart posture that moves us. I'm sorry, a heart posture that recognizes our shortcomings. That says, you know what? I did that. You know what? I'm not perfect. You know what? I messed up. When we have that kind of heart posture, it moves us into a place where we can recognize the grace of God. But as long as we're in self-defense and denial and justification, we are not able to receive the grace that God has for us. Let me tell you what our biggest struggle is. For us, grace is too simple. We struggle with it because it just seems too simple. So because it seems too simple, we move into this concept of legalism, and now all of a sudden we want it to be about us. Can I tell you what this woman said to Jesus when Jesus started to talk about her situation? She tried to deflect the conversation. She said, well, you know, your ancestors say we should worship on a mountain in Jerusalem. She moves it, watch this, into deep theology. Because when we start getting too close to grace... When we start getting too close to what we need God to change in us, the easier thing to do is to move into deep theology because none of us understand it. And we can deflect the conversation. Yeah, but you know, the Bible says women can't talk in public. You know, like we can just move the whole situation and get it off of me. She was trying to get, what did she say to Jesus? She said, you know what? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. That's race. That sexism, she's trying to move it off of her because she doesn't want to talk about her. I want to get, let's talk about something that's difficult. Let's just talk about something like world peace and get it off of me because I don't want to talk about me. And Jesus says, I'm here for you. I don't care about that. All of that stuff will fix itself. I'm here for you because if I can fix you, if I can set you free, then all of a sudden you can have an impact in those things. Yeah. Here's the statement I debated on even putting in the sermon. Because if you hear this statement without hearing what I say by the end of this message, it'll rub you the wrong way. But if you hear it right and you pay attention until I'm done, it'll change your life. You ready? I have to be willing to confront the truth about myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. You have to be willing to face the truth about yourself even when the truth about yourself makes you feel bad about yourself. Culture is so, so good at telling you, well, if it makes you feel bad, don't do it, right? You know, you know what I mean? And that's wrong theology, but you know what I'm saying. Like, let's just not talk about it. But to be real honest, to be real true, there's a moment where you have to be open about something that you've done or are doing. Something that may, it may make you feel bad. Y'all have heard me uh, promote, I guess, I don't know if that's the right word, endorse from this stage the book Emotional Healthy Spirituality. 
I took, you know, a handful of people from the church through it over the summer. There's a whole chapter on this, and it refers to it as the wall. This is so powerful, y'all. This right here was enough reason for you to get up and come to church this morning. This is what it teaches, is that when we are introduced to Christ, the church, whatever the scenario is, immediately we experience salvation through grace, and there's an excitement because we've been saved. We understand that now we don't have to carry around all that shame. And so we start following Jesus. We start coming to church. We enjoy church because it's a great environment. We feel better. It's great teaching. We love the Lord. We have friends. And then we take that next step, like I was talking about, and now we start moving into things like groups and serving. And because at this point, we're still just kind of dealing with salvation, we haven't had the opportunity for the truth of God to really pierce into the thing that we're not talking about. And eventually the wall is the thing that we don't want to talk about. And when we hit the wall, this book says that majority of people hit the wall, bounce off the wall, and start retreating back until they leave the church. This is why, and I have to say this very vaguely because not every situation is like this, but this is why you'll hear people who are in an environment like this and there's something that happens and there becomes an addressing of it, right, where there needs to be healing, but instead of healing, that person gets hurt by it and then they retreat. What the book goes on to say is that real freedom is when we bust through that wall, when we face what it is. Well, this is what I struggle with, but I don't want to say it because I'm ashamed of it. Well, how can you ever be healed from what you hide? Right? And so to lead ourselves, there has to be a moment where where we open up, where we say, hey, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I deal with. Guess what? Your sin is no worse than anybody else's sin. Sin is sin. But as long as we keep it a secret, it'll never be healed. So we've created a Christianity culture where people come into the church and everybody wants to feel good. And so when that wall hits, instead of breaking through the wall, we bounce off the wall and we start, (laughs) just and before you know it, you work all the way back to, hey, where'd so-and-so go? I'll tell you where so-and-so went. They went to another church. Why? Because they can go back through the process. And eventually, it always happens. And we're all guilty of it. I'm of it. Eventually we start to realize it's the same thing. It's the same thing I was dealing with there and dealing with it. It's the same thing my friend tried to tell me in school. It's the same thing my parents have been telling me. Why? Because that's the area that needs healing. But instead of facing it, because it might make us feel bad about ourselves, we run. People think that the worst thing to discover is something bad about themselves. I think the worst thing is to allow that bad thing to remain because you don't want to admit it or face it. I'm going to flow with the Holy Spirit for a moment. Some people may be in here today or maybe this was a season of your life. You avoided church because you didn't want a spotlight on something that you felt bad about. Right? Because some of us think that the worst thing is for it to be revealed that we're not perfect. You know the best way I've gotten over that? Is to go ahead and know that none of you think I'm perfect. If you do, this is the service to break that. (laughs) But if I can get past that thought, I can move into a realm of healing. 
Because the worst thing is not finding out something bad about yourself. The worst thing is knowing something and it not wanting to admit it or face it and just letting it continue to exist. People go, well, I do okay with it, but you're not walking in real freedom. You're not really experiencing. Listen, Darla and I were talking about an individual in our life that, that finally kind of let a secret go. And, and the person told us, they said, oh, I feel so good now. I feel like I can talk because I don't have to hide it. This is what Jesus meant when he said the truth will set you free. Because we're all walking around trying to pretend like there's not something. There's something wrong with all of us. But when we open it up, right? But here's our conversation. We come to an environment like this where the healing power of Jesus is available. And we walk in and go, I don't have a husband. I'm single. You're not single. This is what you're dealing with. Admit it to Christ, let healing happen, and now you are leading yourself. I'm really passionate about this principle, if you can't tell. Because in our world today, this is a principle that we're not bringing into leadership. The ability to say, hey, we know you're, we know you're not perfect, so let's work on it. Now, point three, don't put it up yet. Point three is vital to point one and two. Because if you do point one and two without point three, we're gonna have an issue. If you try point one and two without point three, you will not succeed. There will be a moment where you will retreat. So point three is vital. Now again, I'm, all of this is the foundation of you walking out of here and going, I'm gonna read books, I'm gonna listen to podcasts, I'm gonna be a greater leader. Yeah, but if you don't determine your direction and if you don't stop lying to yourself, you can't read enough books. You can know the top 10 ways to lead and still be miserable, all right? So here's point three, you ready? You gotta learn to grasp grace. In order for you to be able to embrace one and two, you gotta be able to grasp grace. Watch this, I, I prayed for days over this because I, I still don't think I'm gonna be able to communicate this right, but if you'll just get a, an idea of what I'm saying and go home and soak in it, it'll be life-changing. Watch, John chapter four, watch this. This is so, so, so good. I love the word of God. Then, so Jesus says to her, right? He, he points out, you got five husbands, the dude you're living with is not your husband, all these kind of, you can be free. He says she left her water jar. The Bible says that he told her all of the things about her. She leaves her water jar, watch this. The woman goes back to the town, we're gonna talk about that in a minute, and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Quick question. Do you want somebody to tell you everything you've ever done? I'll answer for you, no. No, especially not in high school, especially not in college. Some of you not last night, you know what I mean? Like we don't, we, just being real. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this have been the Messiah? Watch this. This is so important. They came out of the town and made their way, made their way toward him. Now, here's the deal. When you're reading text, there's no emotional context, right? I mean, there can be like an exclamation point or question mark or something, but it's really hard for us to get in that moment to go, well, when she said it, was she angry? You know? I just see walking and go, come see this guy who told everything I ever did. You know what I mean? Like, was it that kind of emotion? I almost passed out, dude. I was way too much energy. Or like, was she excited? Or was she like scared and confused? You know what I mean? Like, like, 
And so I was processing that this week, and here's the conclusion I came to. After she said it, they had to go meet him. So what that tells me is that there must have been a sense of excitement. Because for her to say it, and then for them to want to all of a sudden go meet him, there must have been a way that she presented it that made them want to meet him too. Watch. She was so impressed with the love of Jesus that even as he confronted sin, she forgot that she would rather everyone else forget all the things she ever did. Look at me for a second. She was so blown away by the love of Jesus, she forgot she was supposed to be ashamed. That's way better than y'all received that. She was so, oh, remember I said the town? Remember I said she went back to the town? Why was she at the well at noon? Because the people of the town chastised her. Because the people of the town, when they were getting water, they'd be like, see her? You better not let your husband get around her. They were talking about her at the well. They were gossiping about her. She was ashamed of what she had done so much that she would rather burn up in the heat at noon than go suffer through 45 minutes of working around these women. Yet she was so moved by the love of Jesus that she totally forgot that she was supposed to be ashamed of what she did. This is life setting. This sets us free, y'all. Because the world would tell you to be ashamed of what you do. Jesus would say, get in my presence and you'll be so overwhelmed with my grace and so overwhelmed with my love that you'll walk out of here forgetting that you were even supposed to be ashamed. Here's how, the conver- Here's how I think the conversation went. I think she walked in to all of these Pharisaic people. And I think she said, I just met a man who like you told me everything I've ever done but unlike you didn't condemn me for it and then this morning I'm praying and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this do you know why all of the people of the town rushed out to go meet him because they had been hiding stuff too And for the first time, they saw somebody who was really free. And they realized, we need that same freedom. Jesus didn't come to tell messy people how messy they are. He came to rescue them from their mess. Jesus didn't didn't bring up her situation so he could rub her face in it. He brought it up because you can't heal what you hide. The church, the environment of the presence of God is not a place that you're supposed to bring up your sins so that your face can be rubbed in it, so that you can be kicked out because you're not perfect. It's an environment, watch this, where you feel safe to open up so that God can heal what you used to hide. Well, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm doing okay. Nobody really knows. I'm doing a good job keeping here. And watch this. And if I just keep trying, if I just keep working this thing, I'll get better. 
If I just keep working, I can, I can, I can, I can get stronger. And I can, I can, when I face these temptations, I won't fall again. I can get better. You can't behave yourself out of a mess you behaved yourself into. But here's what you can do. You can follow your way out. And what I hear Jesus telling her is, if you want to fix you, then follow me. I started this off. I tricked you because I told you you need to lead yourself. You can't lead yourself. You're, you leading yourself is what got you here to begin with. If you want to fix you, you follow him. You let him determine your direction. You quit lying to yourself and you admit what it is that you're struggling with. And then you allow the grace of God to overcome you in such a way that you don't walk in shame, but you walk in salvation and freedom. Can I give you a little bit more? Just a little bit more? Just a little bit of dessert for the, for, y'all enjoy that? Is that, was, is that? is that good to your spirit? All right. A little bit of dessert for, for the entree. Jesus doesn't just fix your problem, and then cast it away. He takes it and uses it to help other people. Because he called this out of this woman, she ran into a town and the entire town got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means not only will Jesus set you free, but there'll be a moment where you're sitting across from somebody and you go, hey, I feel like I need to share this with you because I've been there before. I'm not perfect. I'm still dealing with my own thing. But I've been there before. And because I came through, I can tell you that you can come through. I was watching this show. Uh, worship team, go ahead and come up real quick. Sorry. I was watching this show. It's on Netflix right now. And I'm in love with it. It's called The Toys That Made Us. Y'all seen this? It's like they, they look at some of the old, I'm, you know, when I was a kid, the, the Transformers and uh, the G.I. Joes and, and Ninja Turtles, and they show you, it's crazy, it's phenomenal. Because you learn stuff, that because as a kid, you just thought somebody like pooped, made a toy, and there it was. They didn't poop the toy, but you know what I mean, poof, yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit, left the bill. Um, so I'm watching the G.I. Joe one, and they're talking about how they made these original like 16 styles of G.I. Joe, the little figurine characters, all these different characters and they were getting ready to run this first 16 out into the stores. And somebody comes in and watches this. They say, we got a problem. The budget, we've, we've exceeded the budget, and we can't afford to make these 16 figurines. So here's the answer. Let's just take a little bit of decor from each one of them, just take something off of each one of them, and that will save the money. Somebody said, no, I think that will mess up the sales. They said, I got a better idea. Let's pick one, one of the figurines, and let's strip him of all of his decor. Let's just make him as plain as you can make him. That way, if someone doesn't buy, they just, they won't buy that one. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll still have the other 15. They'll be great sales, but they'll just ignore that one. And we just lose that one. I'm watching it. And that one, I don't know if y'all are G.I. Joe fans. If you're not, that's upsetting. But if you are... That one was a character by the name of Snake Eyes. If you know anything about G.I. Joe, he ended up becoming the highest selling G.I. Joe toy 
Now, I know y'all are like, you're such a nerd, but just listen to me. The thing they thought they needed to throw away became the highlight of it. What I'm telling you is the thing that you wish God would just stop, take away. If you give it to God, it'll become the thing that ministers to everybody around you. But you got to give it to God. You got to grasp grace. Come on, stand with me, stand with me, stand with me. Before you can lead anybody, you got to lead yourself. And the number one step for you to lead yourself is to quit lying to yourself and to let the grace of God begin to work in your life. To let the grace of God reveal and heal the thing you've been ashamed of for so long. I want to ask Kyle, Emily, if you guys would come down here just for a moment for prayer. I want to talk to two people in here. Number one, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You're not saved. You're like the woman at the well. You're going through and dealing with stuff, and you're waiting and hoping for some change, and surprise, here's Jesus. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You can stop carrying whatever it is that you're carrying today. Be set free today. Eternity in heaven. If you're in here and you say, I, I want to know more about that, I want to start following Jesus. When I get done and I say amen, I want to encourage you to come down front and pray with one of these team members and let them know what's going on. Say, I just want to learn how to follow Jesus. I've never followed Jesus. I want to learn what that looks like. Second, if you're in here and you are a believer and you've been following Jesus, but if you were honest with yourself, you've been telling Jesus a little white lies. You've been telling Jesus, I don't have a husband. And the entire time, God knows exactly what you're struggling with. This is the opportunity for it to be set free. I'm going to do something we've never, I don't think we've done something in this building. Not only am I going to invite you to come to prayer, I'll invite you to come down and just worship right here. Just have an opportunity to be broken free from that. To be able to worship God and just say, you can have it. I want to be set free. He's still the same what? Today? And so if he was doing it then, he's doing it today. If he set the woman at the well free, he can set you free. It's who he is. But what better opportunity than today to say, Jesus, here's what it is. Have it. Set me free. Restore me. I don't want to hide it anymore so that you can heal it. Father, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the fact that you had to go to Samaria. And you had to go there for days like this so that we can look at what you did with the woman at the well and understand that you're doing the same thing for us today. For every person in this room that's never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day. For every person that's a believer but they've been carrying a very heavy weight of shame, I pray they'd be set free today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Holy Spirit can do and it would start to minister to people. Start to set them free. And you can do it because you're the way maker. You're the world, you're, you're the world changer. You're the resurrected king. You're a miracle worker. Hallelujah, Father. Have your way in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.